Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, continuing this Tuesday my Fascism in Fiction miniseries. This week I'm talking about a cult movie that is about skinheads, counterculture, youth, and nationalism in England in the 1980s. The movie is appropriately called This is England. This is England was released in 2006 and was written and directed by Shane Meadows. It was highly well-reviewed, both in the United Kingdom and also in the United States, and also won some indie award-type things, you know. Uh, So this is a relatively small movie, but it's a cult classic. The setting is a generic Midlands English city in the early Thatcher years, 1983, like I told you. And it is right after Margaret Thatcher's power has been secured by the destruction of the power of unions in the United Kingdom, specifically, you know, using mounted police in order to attack these union members, divesting from the less economically productive parts of the country, you know, the North and the Midlands of England, and also vitally for the movie, and very important to how the plot moves forward, Margaret Thatcher's response to Argentina's aggression in the Malvinas Falkland Wars. So in 1982, the Argentine right-wing military dictatorship invaded the Falkland Islands, which in Argentina are called the Malvinas Islands, with military force. They thought that the United Kingdom wouldn't respond militarily. This was partly sexism on their part, assuming that Thatcher wouldn't do anything, and also just like nationalistic hubris. However, Thatcher did respond militarily and completely destroyed the Argentine military force. So, the beginning of the movie is that a young boy whose name is Sean, who is played by an actual 13-year-old man named Thomas Turgus, uh, who had never acted before. So Sean is new in town, and we see him mourning his father, who died in the Falkland War. However, we are first really made aware of exactly what has happened, as Sean wears out-of-style clothes that his dad had bought for him to school. This results in him being severely bullied. And then the next scene is Sean dejectedly walking home. And he walks through a sort of path under a little overpass, and he runs into a gang. This gang is clearly a group of skinheads. They are older people, primarily men, but there are also some women. They start to talk to and apparently taunt Sean. One of the members especially is taunting Sean a lot. However, the person who is clearly the leader of the gang is trying to be a little bit more sympathetic. And he turns the gang around and essentially gets them to adopt Sean. The leader of this gang is a guy named Woody. He is accompanied by his girlfriend, a person named Lol. They encourage Sean and lift up his spirits and induct him into the gang as its newest and extremely, by a long shot, youngest member. Everybody else in this gang is old enough to hold down jobs and essentially live life as fully independent adults, you know, somewhere in their early 20s or late teens. Like I said, this group of people is, you know, they're they're all skinheads. But it's important to remember that this is the early 80s. These skinheads are not yet racist skinheads. They're part of the 1980s revival of a 1960s subculture, the original skinhead subculture, which originated in the United Kingdom at that period of time. Now, the original skinhead subculture from the 1960s They listened to reggae and ska music, music that came from the Caribbean, pretty much specifically Jamaica. And that subculture was about working class roots and working class pride, 
and also cultural mixture and acceptance. By listening to reggae and ska, they were indicating their support, or at least acceptance of the fact that a lot of people from the Caribbean had migrated to the United Kingdom, and that those people were also working class people, you know, working in the same factories and living in the same areas as these predominantly white skinheads were. One of the members of this gang in the 1980s is named Milky. He is the only black character in the film, and he is the only black member of the gang. His family is explicitly from Jamaica, although he himself was born in the United Kingdom. So like I said, these people are skinheads, but they are not racist neo-Nazi skinheads in the sense that most people think the word means. So the remainder of the movie for the next 20 minutes is a bunch of feel-good scenes as Sean, who is previously very socially isolated, finds new friends in this gang of people. His mom indicatedly tolerates and sort of understands these friends to be mostly a neutral or good influence, if only in the sense that they're giving her son some friends. Sean is given a makeover by the gang. You know, they shave his head. He wears the skinhead uniform, which is suspenders, a collared shirt, big boots. He is too young to wear Doc Martens. They don't make boots his size and a bomber jacket. So in many ways, this movie is about a boy who's growing up too fast. You know, he is joining a gang of legal adults at the age of 13. He's still in school. He starts a sexual slash romantic relationship with one of the women in this gang of people who is clearly older than him, probably somewhere closer to 16, 17, or 18. Uh, her name, this character, is Smell, uh, a sort of shortened version of Michelle. The movie has a bunch of like nice, cute montages of this gang hanging out to the sounds of 1960s reggae, uh, specifically a lot of Toots and the Maitals. The movie then, at about the halfway point, takes a plot turn, as during a party at Woody's house, Woody's old associate, a man named Combo, and another skinhead, comes back from prison unexpectedly. It's clear through the movie that Combo was the kind of influence on Woody that Woody wants to be on Sean, a sort of brother or father figure. Combo went to prison in order to protect Woody from a, you know, criminal charge, and so their reunion is extremely happy, at first. Combo is a first-generation skinhead. He's older than everybody else, so he became a skinhead in the 1960s and 70s. However, this homecoming is really uh, stymied and hurt by the fact that Combo reveals himself to have fallen in with right-wing skinheads when he was in prison. This is first indicated to us by the fact that his friend, a person he brings to this party named Banjo, who is another skinhead, has a bunch of creepy racist tattoos and is threatening everybody with a machete, supposedly as a goof. And it is finally determined and, you know, proven by the fact that Combo tells a horribly racist story about his experience in prison with a black fellow prisoner. The next couple bits of the movie are showing the tension in the gang growing, with Combo trying to lead them toward a right-wing political direction, while Woody wants them to maintain their sort of like generic hooliganism and just, you know, having fun as skinheads who do drugs and, you know, drink beer and listen to music and just like party and participate in youth culture, essentially. It is indicated that Combo and his friend accept Milky, again, a black character, after Milky upon interrogation, says that he identifies primarily as being English rather than being Jamaican. Combo's speech in response to this question about what England is is the origin of 
the title of the film. Campbell points to his head and his heart and says, this is England. There's a split that occurs in the gang during an argument over some political questions, and some of the more easily influenced members of the gang go along with Combo. Sean is among them. Uh, other people who join the gang are some of the more violent and, you know, angry members of the gang, and also those who thought that people were being mean to them. You know, some of the characters said that, like, Woody was making fun of them too much, and so they, they joined Combo to be with these racist skinheads. The, we then see the combo side of this gang engaging in serious right-wing racial and radical hooliganism. He takes them to a national front meeting and demonstrates a real flirtation with right-wing politics. They are now essentially racist skinheads, uh, which in skinhead communities are sometimes called boneheads. They start to put up racial graffiti. Uh, they start to harass a corner store run by a South Asian man. They rob it, and they imply that they're going to bully him and possibly murder him. Now, these events escalate uh, as the final events of the movie start to unfold. In one scene, Combo confesses his love, quote-unquote, to Woody's girlfriend, again, a person named Lal. Combo says that he was thinking about her the entire time that they were in prison and can't stop talking about this, quote, beautiful night that they shared together. Lal tells him her side of the story, which is that she was extremely young when this encounter happened, and that uh, it was not a loving night, but instead sexual assault by an older man on a younger woman. She tells him that she can't stand him, and Combo, enraged, spends the next several minutes slamming his head on the wheel of his car. In an effort to get over his experienced loss, Combo goes to find Milky, and gets Milky to buy a bunch of weed for him. He then invites Milky to come over to his house in order to share it as part of the fee for getting the weed. So this is one of the last scenes in the movie. Combo is distraught, and the racist side of the gang, along with Milky, are in Combo's house, smoking a bunch of marijuana. And at first, this is presented in a lighthearted way. You know, they're listening to the music that they like, they're hanging out, they're all very high. We see Combo's flat, which is extremely bare bones and extremely empty. It's implied that he's probably squatting. The only real adornment in the flag is a St. George's Cross flag, which is the symbol of England as a nation and therefore very important to English nationalists. Uh, this flag is displayed up on the wall after the racist members of the gang got it for Combo. The group talks, and one of the people in this gang who is very high gets the munchies, and he starts looking around in Combo's cupboards and complains that he doesn't have any food. Meanwhile, Milky is talking about his life at home in, you know, the sort of normal way that you might with friends. And he says that, like, oh, everybody should come over. You know, my relatives make this really good food. We can have all of these really great foods that my family likes to make. This enrages Combo, who experiences this as bragging about things that he doesn't have. You know, a stable family, a loving, supportive network, and also just literally food. He then turns on Milky who refuses to back down from, you know, having just been reasonably talking with friends about a normal experience. And Combo then beats Milky essentially to death in the middle of his home. Sean, who is there, tries to stop Combo, but is held back by Combo's much bigger and more terrifying right-wing skinhead friend, a person again named Banjo. After this, Combo realizes, or at least seemingly realizes, the horror of what he's done, and he and Sean take Milky to the hospital. 
The final scene in the movie is Sean back with his mother, and his mother tells him that Milky is probably going to be okay. We, as the viewers, have absolutely no idea if this woman is lying or telling the truth. She might be trying to console a young man, or she might have information. We, we don't know. The last scenes of the movie are Sean leaving his home, taking the St. George's Cross flag with him. He walks out to the beach and throws it into the ocean, and then uh, we get one second of Sean staring directly into the camera. So this movie is clearly an indictment of right-wing nationalism, and especially right-wing subcultures. The director was very clear that the purpose of the movie was a, an exploration of how a, a subculture that was, you know, at best, very much anti-racist, and at worst, just like sort of a normal, youthful hooligan subculture could be turned to the extreme right wing. So it's a movie about the radicalization and eventual de-radicalization of a young man, a man who got involved in the right wing in the way that most people actually did after the rise of the extreme big fascist parties in the 1930s and 40s. Nowadays, radicalization generally doesn't happen at the behest of a big intentional organization, but rather in the sort of interpersonal way that Sean experiences in this movie. At first, he just connects with friends based on wanting to, you know, belong somewhere, wanting to have a place to call home, wanting to have a subculture that can be his own. Then that subculture itself gets influenced by right-wing believers. After this, it's possible that this young man would join the extreme right-wing, and that's what we see happen to the main character in this movie. This movie really adeptly shows how people, groups, and subcultures can slide into the right wing, and it's especially interesting to show how this happened to a subculture that was, again, initially very opposed to racism. Its portrayal of this is honestly extremely good. Uh, you can see viscerally how and why a kid would be interested in this stuff and want to join, and how he might, you know, use the leaders of these gangs as father figures and, and use the members of them as a surrogate family. It correctly shows how, for most people, the, you know, politics, quote-unquote, of the right wing, so like, you know, go them going to this Nationalist Party event, it really follows on the social and cultural stuff. It it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a follower of them wanting to have the social and cultural connections that they were originally seeking. It also paints a disturbingly sympathetic picture of the right wing skinhead nationalists, specifically Combo. It shows us why, for this person, he believes his violence to be justified. You know, he is experiencing the two things that motivate most right-wing violence in the Western world today, that is perceived unfair rejection by a woman and perceived unfair advantage held by people of color. Now, in the movie, we know that Combo's experience of this is ridiculous. You know, he sexually assaulted someone in the past and believes that her telling him about that is rejection. He attacks a person because his family is not broken in the way that his family was. But to him, he experiences this as a problem. He experiences this as, you know, the failure of society to provide for him. He experiences this as an affront. And that is how right-wing men think and talk about their social experiences. So I, I, I think that honestly, it's very brilliantly done. Right. That was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. 
If you really enjoyed the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out and all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right and fascism 15. All right. Thanks very much. And I'll talk to you Thursday.